in Mark chapter 16, verse 8, it says, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Today, Mark's gospel ends with a little bit of a rough start. This is day 20. Welcome to the Journey Through Mark podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's word. Together, we'll discuss the context and meaning of each passage and how the book of Mark can help us understand more about who God is and the story he's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to day 20, the last day of the journey through Mark. I'm here once again with Melissa Payne and Brendan Lang. Yo. How are you guys feeling? This is the end of it. It's sad in some ways. We're all in different places talking into microphones, multiple microphones, so we can (laughs) hear each other and record this thing. And this has been a wild We may never see each other again, like in person. This might be our like whole existence and nobody will ever know because this is the last one of these, you know? Oh no, that's so sad. At least for Mark, we might do another book. It'll be fine. I think we definitely should. Yeah, I think we'll figure it out, you know? (laughs) All right. Well, here's my question for today. How do you guys feel about snakes? Nope. <laughs> Just <laughs> That's not really that's not even, how you feel about snakes. It's not a yes or no question. Yeah. No, I don't do snakes. I do like, not like them. When you go to the zoo, do you look at them? Mm, not really. I could just avoid that whole section and just move on. Mm. It's an evil creature and they oh. just need to stay away. <laughs> Very biblical. Your upbringing, Melissa, has That's right. <laughs> really colored the way that you view this poor animal. <laughs> Sorry. That's just how I feel. What about Brenda, you guys? Brendan, you're good with snakes, right? You'd pick up a snake. We saw a snake today outside Rachel's parents' house. Some like shingles had fallen off from a recent storm. And mm-hmm. I saw its head like sticking out the end of one of these shingles. And Hayden, he wanted to go get it. And I was the chicken actually. So I don't <laughs> mind snakes, but I was like, let's not mess around with that. What kind of snake was it? Was it a dangerous snake? I only or? saw the head. Well, no, this isn't dangerous. It's like a garter snake or something. I don't know. But, but so you're see, not really the... a huge fan of well, snakes either. No. Because that's not a dangerous snake. Well, actually the head was green now that I think about it. But I couldn't see the rest of the body, so I don't know exactly what type of snake. Can you it was. in detail describe what this <laughs> snake like? What were his mannerisms like? Was he curious about your whereabouts? I'm just kidding. You're fine with snakes as long as they stay under the shingles. Yeah, I'm good. With, I'm, I'm good with snakes under shingles. All right. Well, I'm not sure that this whole snake reference that we get to in Mark is even supposed to exist, <laughs> but hopefully you can shed some light on why half of our scripture reading today is in italics. But to start out, Brendan, why don't you take us through the commentary for today? Day 20, the abrupt ending of Mark. Our final reading tells the story of Jesus's resurrection. Compared to Mark's account of the events surrounding Jesus's crucifixion, this story is short, and it may be shorter than it appears at first glance. About halfway through our reading, the text provides a note saying, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. Modern scholars almost universally agree that these verses are a later second century edition. Though they sound a lot like what we read in some of the other gospel accounts, they aren't written in Mark's characteristic style, and they don't appear in the earliest copies we have of the book. These verses seem to have been added to the end of the book to compensate for the fact that Mark's resurrection story is brief and ends abruptly. After an angel instructs some of Jesus' female followers to go tell others about the resurrected Jesus, the book surprisingly ends with the report, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Theories abound as to why the book ends so abruptly. Some have speculated that the original ending to the book was lost. Others have suggested that Mark never finished the book. Perhaps the best explanation is that Mark actually intended to end his book this way. 
There's great irony in the fact that at this point in the book, when individuals are finally free to tell others about Jesus, they suddenly go silent. Previously, Jesus had asked others not to share his identity, but they would not stay quiet. Now on this side of the crucifixion, an angel asks others to share about Jesus, but they say nothing. We know from the other gospels in the Bible that these women eventually did go on to share the good news with others, but Mark seems to have cut the story short for a rhetorical effect. As readers, we are left wondering who will share the gospel if the women will not. The abrupt ending is meant to entice us to carry on the story ourselves. As readers, we've walked with Jesus throughout his journey. He's called us. He's challenged us to leave everything behind and follow him. Now that we've heard that the kingdom has come near, we have a final decision to make. Will we go away silent or will we join Mark in proclaiming the good news? For day 20, we're reading Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. The earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have the following verses. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied them. Melissa, want to take us through our discussion questions for day 20? First question, who in your life do you need to share the good news with? What is the first step you need to take towards sharing Jesus' message with that person? Second question, what has been your most significant learning from reading through the book of Mark? How has God been challenging you? All right, Brendan, I'm not going to lie. Even if I was comfortable with the snake and it wasn't poisonous or it was poisonous, I'm not really comfortable picking one up. What does that have to do with having faith? I wouldn't pick them up either. And I don't, <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why <laughs> I think we can take comfort in the fact that maybe this part of the book of Mark isn't actually part of the book of Mark. 
Well, so what's going on with that? Because I read that like halfway through that this part is not in the original text. Or most people believe it was not in the original text. So it's in italics. And you went through it a little bit in the commentary. But what's happening here? Why would they add text to what's already there? So we have different manuscripts that have different endings, you might say, for the Book of Mark. You have this long one, which is verses 9 through 20, which comes after that little piece that you read. There's a shorter one. And then there's some manuscripts that don't have any extra ending. They end at verse 8, which says, Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So we have these different Greek manuscripts that have different endings for the Book of Mark. And when you evaluate these differences... It becomes pretty clear that especially this long one, which is the most popular one versus nine through 20, probably wasn't original. This is on the basis of first just looking at the oldest manuscripts we have don't include this ending. So that's pretty telling. But also a lot of the style, the vocabulary, things like this that you see in this section don't line up with what you see in the rest of the book of Mark. It doesn't sound. I was going to say it almost sounds like totally different. It sounds like a different person wrote it. Yes. So it, it sounds like someone else's writing it, which again is maybe a clue that someone else has added this to the end. And then we've talked a lot about the synoptic gospels and their relationship to the book of Mark, like which book was written first and how they depend and use each other. The majority of scholars for quite some time have argued that Mark is the first gospel because when you look at Matthew and Luke, they use a lot of material that's very similar to Mark. And then in places where Mark doesn't say something, they add or they elaborate, they include different things to tell their own versions of the story of Jesus. Now, this is a section where if we were to take verses 9 through 20, this edition as part of the original text, well, Matthew and Luke both have very different endings. It's very clear that they aren't depending on that version of the resurrection story. And so to many scholars, again, that's a clue that maybe this wasn't original, that this isn't something that was available to Matthew and Luke in the copy of Mark that they had when they wrote their gospel stories as well. So you look at all this evidence, it becomes clear that this is probably an addition, and it's most likely an addition that was put here by a scribe who was uncomfortable with the fact that the story ends the way it does. Because again, when you read the other gospel accounts, they have much longer resurrection stories. This resurrection story is eight verses, and it ends with some women who are told to go tell about the resurrected Jesus, and they say nothing. Well, it does seem like a really abrupt ending, and it's like a very short chapter too. So it does beg the question, like, why would he end it like this if this is where it's going to end? Why would this be the ending that we get? So I would point out that a number of people don't think this is exactly the ending, that we actually may have a different ending that's just been totally lost. Now, we don't have any evidence for that. So when I read this, the first thing I observe is that the book also begins very abruptly. If you remember how the book begins, it begins with this announcement, yeah. the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written by Isaiah, the prophet, so on and so forth. And it jumps into telling the story of John the Baptist. The stories of Matthew, mm -hmm. Luke, even John have much longer, much more more pronounced introductions. This is real quick. It's abrupt. And the ending seems to match that. So that's one clue that Mark is trying to do something stylistically. But I also think when we remember, what is the story of the book of Mark been about? It's been about this person who comes, who establishes the kingdom of God, God in the flesh, who comes, establishes the kingdom of God on earth. But he does this as a suffering servant. And he invites his disciples, those who would join him in this kingdom to follow after him, to walk in his ways, to live in the way of the Messiah, 
Messiah, the way of the cross. This is what the way of the kingdom of God looks like. Well, I think this ending has this sort of rhetorical effect where it invites us as readers to follow Jesus. Because notice what Mark writes in verse seven, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. So Jesus is going ahead. He's left the tomb. He's going into Galilee. And the call is for these women to go tell the disciples news about the resurrected Jesus and then to follow him into Galilee. They don't do it. Now we know from the other gospels and we know just from the simple facts of history that the women did go and tell the others about the resurrected Jesus. But Mark stops it here because I think as readers, it's ushering us into the story. It ends abruptly because it wants to invite us to see now how do we fit in? If the women don't tell the story of the resurrected Jesus, if they don't follow Jesus into Galilee, well then who will? And I think the invitation then that we get from the book of Mark, this abrupt ending is for us to do that, to do exactly what Mark actually has been doing these past 16 chapters, to proclaim the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, and to follow him on his way. I mean, you make a good point. Like there aren't a lot of details around his birth or, you know, some of these things that in the other gospels, you get a lot of detail about. Right. It's more about his ministry, the things he comes to do, the things he comes to say, powers that he comes to confront. So it makes sense that like this thing that in this day and age was probably just accepted as like, this is a piece of the story was less of the emphasis of what he was trying to write down and convince people of. He's trying to convince people of the cause that Jesus was going after more than what actually transpired or is that what I'm I mean I do think from this? I, I do think there's something to that because when you look at the other gospels not that Mark doesn't have an emphasis on the resurrection but for him he's really highlighting the crucifixion all the way through and that's why the crucifixion story is so long for the other gospel writers they wanted to make sure that people didn't miss the significance of the resurrection and that they understood that the resurrection wasn't just some made up story and so the way those stories are told highlight the fact that this had to have happened this wasn't something that was made up. This wasn't something that someone just concocted. And so those gospel stories emphasize those things. I think the book of Mark is trying to get at something different. Not that it didn't happen. Of course it happened. But the book of Mark is trying to usher us now into the story to invite us to discover if we have the courage now to follow Jesus and to proclaim the gospel, just like Mark's been doing. Melissa, how do you feel like you're being ushered into this story? I think at first I'm like, man, women, this is your chance to like tell about Jesus. (laughs) So I kind of, I feel like a little bit of responsibility that, you know, we are to take the words that Mark has said and the story that has been told here and share it with others. And I think even just getting to read Mark through day by day and just getting into the detail and even having somebody like Brendan just explain so many of the stories and these Markian sandwiches (laughs) and things that I did not know about before this really brings Jesus's life into a new light for me to see the purpose and the plan behind everything that he did was to bring his kingdom and that his kingdom was going to look very different than the one that was before him. I do want to make one comment because I love what you said, Melissa, about the women. And the thing I want to point out, just to piggyback off that, women actually do a lot of great things in the book of Mark, and they usually make the men look bad. They were there with Jesus when he was crucified, when all the guys ran away. (laughs) Exactly. So here are the women. These are the people who are left behind. These are the remaining disciples, you might say. Everybody else is gone. They're the ones left. And even they are afraid now. All that to say, women do an awesome job here in the gospel. And I think that it was countercultural at this time that they were the ones who were asked to to go proclaim the gospel. Brendan, how do you feel like you're being ushered into the gospel of Mark? 
I think the book of Mark from beginning to end has all been about us making a decision. One, what do we think about Jesus? But two, are we willing to express allegiance Mm -hmm. to him? Are we willing to follow him? I think if we've missed those things, then we've missed the book of Mark. It's not just a story. It's not just history. It's not something that just happened in the past, although it did happen in the past. It's history with a purpose. It's history with a persuasive bent. We have a decision to make. Are we going to follow Jesus or are we not? And for me, it's a challenge every day then to pick up my own cross and to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim that, you know what, we live in a world that seems really messed up where there are a lot of kingdoms that seem to put people down to lord their power over others. But we have something better with Jesus. We have a king who is resurrected, but also Mm -hmm. died on our behalf, who suffered and served on our behalf. That's our king. We're part of a kingdom like that. That's something I want to get behind. That's something I want to be a part of. And so I think I've been inspired more and more to examine, do I really match Jesus's definition? definition of what a disciple looks like. Am I someone who's willing to pick up my cross to follow Jesus and to proclaim the good news? And I think the book of Mark has given me more courage to do that. Yeah. I mean, I like what you said about a daily decision to follow Jesus. I think for me, it's a really good focus on Jesus's ministry and the way that he lives Mm -hmm. and the things that he cares about. And you get a picture of what God cares about, how he thinks that we should live. If Jesus led a blameless life, then this is the perfect example of what we're trying to aspire to. And that's probably the thing that I take away most from this. And I I'm curious what you guys would take away most from the book of Mark. But for me, there's less detail around the narrative aspects and the storytelling aspects of Jesus's life in this gospel. And it leaves a little bit of it to mystery, which is really what faith is about. And that's what the gospel of Mark is saying is faith is a mystery. You're not going to have all the details, but what you do have is a prescriptive way of understanding how you should live. And that is the most important thing that I've taken away personally. I think even just during this time of isolation, I am in my apartment by myself. You know, I am not married. I don't have kids. And so it has actually given me a lot of time to process and think about my relationship with God. And as a Christian, I say that my desire is to be like him, to live like him, to put him first in everything. But if I look at kind of my daily life, I don't always do that. And so I feel like God has just given me an opportunity right now to really examine and look at those practices and the rhythms that I have in my life and see where I'm actually giving my time and my heart and my mind over to God to let Him fill my mind with His Word. Because I think I can get caught up in the fear and the anxiety of what is happening next. But when I begin to like trust him in every little thing and my mind is focused on him first thing in the morning, then it kind of becomes more of like my whole heart and my whole life begins to reflect that. And so I think in the midst of this crazy time, like I feel like I'm getting more time with Jesus, real intimate time with him than I've had in a long time. We are all dealing with, well, some of us, those who don't have kids or those who have kids that take good naps. There's a lot more like (laughs) silence and there's like a solitary aspect of this, which we didn't know that when we were planning this study too. We didn't know that when we were going to be doing Mark, that we were all going to be isolated like this from our relationships, our work, our everything, our fun. And so it's a unique time to reflect on the gospel of Mark and say, okay, what is Mark trying to say about this guy, Jesus, Mm -hmm. that lived in the first century? And for a first-time reader, this is probably a unique experience too. If this is the first time reading 
scripture, how should we take away this book as a whole? Like, what should we be thinking about as we're coming to the end of this study? Melissa, I loved what you said about this fact that you found yourself maybe having more time to connect with Jesus. And I think the first thing I'd want to point out is that Jesus wants to have a relationship with you, that Mm -hmm. Jesus wants to be part of your life. Part of following Jesus is doing as he does, but following him is walking with him. That's doing life with him and recognizing that he wants to be with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. And there's a relationship there Mm -hmm. that's central to the Christian faith. This idea that God, he's not just some distant God. From the very beginning of scripture, God has always wanted to walk with people. This is the story of the Garden of Eden. He's walking through the garden. This is the story of the tabernacle when God asked the Israelites to build a tent in their midst. This is the story of the temple where God wants to have this permanent home where he can be among his people. He's always wanted to be with people. And whether you're a first time reader or you're a long time Christian and you feel like God is distant, I want you to know that God doesn't want to be distant. He wants to be with you and among you. And that was made most clear when God in the form of Jesus manifest himself, became a temple on earth for us and created a pathway that we can forever be with him. He's established this connection point forever between heaven and earth through Jesus. And now we're actually like temples. When we accept Jesus into our heart, he enters into us and he's with us. So that's what I want to say. I'd want people to know that he wants to be with you, but he also wants you to live as he lives and to admit that while he's with you and knows you, he's also the king. He's the Lord of the universe. He's the one who's in control. And I think for a lot of people, for a lot of former Christians or non-Christians, for any Christian, it can be hard to give up control and admit that someone else is Lord. When you look at this whole book, Tyler, you talked about how the heart of God is revealed through the person of Jesus, how the things he does, the way he interacts with people, those he chooses to do life with, reveal what he's like. When I think about all those things, I admit that that's actually a king that's worth following. That's a king that leads a kingdom I want to be a part of. That's something I want to sign up for. And so, again, if you're a first-time reader of the Book of Mark, these are the things I wouldn't want you to miss, that Jesus wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to have that position of king over you, but he's a king that's worth following. And for me, the Jesus that I'm always drawn to and the Jesus that I think speaks to a lot of people who have known this for a long time, or this is not their first time reading this, or you call yourself a longtime Christ follower. There's a piece of this too, that I think Jesus is calling us to something bigger than just following the status quo. I mean, you see him confront systems of injustice throughout this whole book. And he's speaking to that almost in every chapter. He's talking about what is happening and how is it not the way of God. Mm. And so for us as Christians, Christians today, this is almost a charge. I feel like this is an opportunity for us to look around at the world that we live in, whether it's within church or politics or social justice or our jobs, and be like, you know what, this is unjust, and how can I best confront it to bring it to light? And how can I best confront it to make real change in a way that is more just, and it is a way that God would want it to reflect him. And this is what it means to say that the good news is about the kingdom of God, about Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God and about the kingdom of God being near, Mark 1, 1 and Mark 1, 15. If the good news is just about the fact that Jesus died for my sins and I'm good and I get to go to heaven, well, that's fine, but there's so much more that Jesus wants to do because first off, he doesn't want us to go to some other place. He wants to bring heaven here and he wants to establish the kingdom of God here. And that's something that's so much bigger. It's so much broader than the personal individualistic type of transaction we want to have between us and Jesus. He wants to do something bigger. And that means that when we accept Jesus as Savior and we follow him, it 
doesn't just have to do with my own relationship with him. It has ramifications for every facet of our lives. All those things you listed, Tyler, how we interact with people at work, how we do our politics, how we think about the social structures and systems that sort of run our lives. Are there things in our lives that are worth confronting? And what role do we have as Christians in helping bring an end to injustice? I think the Book of Mark, because most people do believe it was the first gospel written, it is a really stark and realistic version of who this man was. And I think it really does paint a picture for what God really cares about. And hopefully this study was helpful to everybody. I mean, I think we had a lot of fun making it. Brendan, I know, had a lot of fun sitting with his really thick headphones writing it by himself <laughs> while he I, talked to himself. I was writing half of this in a hospital room when my... <laughs> child was born. And yeah, was, you were like wrapping it up as you were entering a new life yeah, into the world. Well right. But it was fun. It was yeah. worth it. So hopefully we get to do it again. And thank you guys for doing this with us and being real with us and continuing to have a real conversation and rolling with the punches when we don't get to see each other for real kind of unexpectedly. For sure. Yeah, we've loved doing this. Thanks for taking time to listen to us every day. If you've loved it, feel free to send us a message. I've heard from a number of you and it's so good to hear from you who I know who've been doing life with us through this weird different avenue. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I just want to echo that. I just appreciate all the encouragement and all of the emails and messages that you've shared, how much this has impacted your life and has helped you as you're on your commute to work or whenever you may be listening to it. So we appreciate you joining in with us. Yeah, I think that's the heart that I want to leave us with is, you know, it's a lot of work to make these studies, but for us, it's worth it if it affects one person. So if that's you, thanks for really giving it the time. Thanks for listening to us, putting up with us, honestly, because, you know, I'm a lot. I understand that. So <laughs> you got that right. But it was worth it. And like if it affected you and if you're listening or if you read the books, just know that this was for you, specifically for you, because that's really our goal. And hopefully we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for joining us for the Journey Through Mark podcast. If this is your first time, we're so glad you checked us out. To check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org and share your journey experience on social media with the hashtag willowjourney. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check out willowcreek.org. We'll see you tomorrow.